Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Grateful living, that is the thing. And how can we live gratefully? By experiencing, by becoming aware that every moment is a given moment, as we say. It's a gift. You haven't earned it. You haven't brought it about in any way. You have, you have no way of assuring that there will be another moment given to you. And yet, that's the most valuable thing that can ever be given to us. This moment with all the opportunity that it contains. If we didn't have this present moment, we have, wouldn't have any opportunity to do anything or experience anything. And this moment is a gift. It's a given moment. Well, good morning. How's everyone? Uh, lots of new folks today. I want to thank everybody that uh, I met a whole bunch of new folks in the back just greeting today. So thanks for checking us out. Uh, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed, And we are so thankful that you chose to spend a Sunday with us. I know there's lots of other things to do. But uh, it's really neat to be able to come together as a community and talk and chat, get to know one another, and just experience what God has for us. Amen. Uh, we're in a series right now called Come and See What God Has Done, and the entire series is, is based on gratefulness, and it, it's been a really interesting topic because of, I've been flooded with emails, posts, comments, and we've been posting every week different things we're grateful for, and trying to continue to come at it from an angle that is, is not the usual angle. I, I, of course, we're grateful for, for uh, sustenance, we're grateful for sleep, we're grateful for warmth, and all these things, and they're very important. They're, they're critically important, and I think often we take them for granted. But to really understand gratefulness uh, at, a, at a deep level, sometimes you have to sort of, sort of tear out of normal context and come at it from a different angle, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. Uh, today is, is very fresh. It's very different. I've never done anything like, I've, like I did today at 9 o'clock. And uh, I, I'm happy to say that the Holy Spirit showed up and, and did something really special. So my hope is that that's exactly what happens here. But more than anything else, what we need to do is just take a minute and, and ask that God's agenda would be accomplished in our service. There's so many of you from so many different walks of life, so many stories in this room, and there is no way that one guy can share and cover all the different angles that today's topic will, will hit you uh, from. But I know for a fact that my living God, your living God, our great creator can. So my prayer right now that I'm gonna offer is that God would remove all distractions. He would remove anything that would keep you from receiving his presence, receiving his, his love, his forgiveness, and his direction. So will you join with me now as we prepare our hearts? Lord, we thank you as we continue in worship, as we just bring forth, Lord, uh, reflection, as we bring forth uh, pondering, as we continue to, re- to, to look at our lives in contrast and in color, as we continue to just sit, Lord, before you and ask that all distractions would be removed, that we would, that we would just be able to experience something specific for us right now where we're at. 
I ask, Lord, that in this room, every person here would experience beyond their understanding something of you, something tangible, something touchable, something that marks them, that stains them, that allows them to leave just a bit different than they arrived. Thank you for this space. Thank you for today, for today's topic, for the way you've you've brought so much enlightenment to my own life, the team's life, and other folks who've been praying about the message. Thank you, God, that you are part of it, that you're the center of it, and that you receive all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's topic is going to be on conflict. We're going to talk about what it means to be grateful for conflict. And, and I recognize right away people are like, oh man, some of you are really excited and some of you are not excited at all. Uh, I asked last service, how many people in the room do not enjoy conflict? Raise your hands. How many people do not enjoy conflict? Okay. It's about 80%. Then there's another 20% and you're like, what are we doing? Let's get into it. Like, can I, can I lead this exercise? Uh, and, and that's fine. But, but whether we enjoy it or, or not, how many people sat in a conflict just this week? Raise your hand. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. And it's part of our story and it's part of, of how we operate. And I want to give you a couple principles a couple big thoughts, and then what I want to do is I want to lead you as a community into conflict, meaning I'm actually going to bring some conflict into the room. I'm going to, to truly, I'm going to, to, to share some things that are going to force you to, to, to kind of have an opinion, which is going to naturally force you into conflict with others in the room that have a different opinion. And we're going to do that because church is supposed to be a safe place to ask difficult questions, safe place to ask unsafe questions. And so today, uh, with complete approval from my team, elders, and everybody else, I'm going to bring some conflict into the room, and we're just going to see how it goes. Nine o'clock handled it very maturely. <laughs> Eleven o'clock, not so sure. This is, this is, this is a different crowd, but, uh, but it was powerful. It was powerful. And I think that, that for many of us, it answers some really powerful needs about really this. How are we as Christians supposed to biblically engage with conflict? How are we as Christians supposed to biblically, Bible-based thinking engage in conflict? Because there, are, there is a great amount of scripture surrounding this topic. And yet it's not talked about very much because we pacify or, or, or back away from often these things that cause conflict because we don't want to become angry or filled with rage. We don't want to sin. We don't want to, we don't want to express something that's not from the Bible, so we don't say anything at all. And, and so I want to talk about what the Bible says about how you and I are supposed to engage in conflict. And then, as I said, I'm going to bring some conflict in the room. So let me build a little platform for what the Bible says about conflict. First, conflict is inevitable. You can't avoid it especially relational conflict, it's not something that should surprise you as Christians and Christ followers. You need not to be ashamed that it exists and that you were involved in it, especially this week, this month, this year. You should expect it. It's just part of the package. This world is fallen and complicated, and we are fallen and complicated creatures within it. Conflict will come. It is absolutely unavoidable, even in the church. <gasps> More on that later. The question is not whether conflict will come, but how we will handle them. The question is not whether conflicts will come, but how we will handle them. They're all around us. They're everywhere. And unless you can go into conflict with your eyes wide open, unless I can go into conflict with my eyes wide open, then chances are I will handle it with the flesh, 
and not with these biblical principles that we need to look at. So first, conflict is inevitable. Second, conflict is an occasion for grace. Conflict is an occasion for grace. One reason that conflict is such a problem is precisely because it worsens with negligence. It just doesn't go away, cutting us off from the most significant opportunities of grace. There are many, many opportunities within conflict to show God's love to people and receive God's love for ourselves if we're willing to engage in the conflict. You can't avoid it, so why, why keep trying? Why not just move into it knowing there's an opportunity somewhere in here usually for grace? You can see this all throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, I'll put it on the screen. Conflict seems to be the way God does his deepest work in a world like ours. So if you want to be a part of what God's doing, which you proclaim, because I've tried to kick you out of this church like four times over the last ten months. Because I need your seats and I need your parking spots. So we want to fill this church with people who want to love the unlovable. I say this a lot. I mean, the Bible says this far more than I do, that it, we want to reach the unreachable. We want to, we want to impact those on, on the margins. We want, to, we want to get involved in people's messes, involved in their lives. And then I go, okay, so let's do some conflict. People are like, whoa, whoa, I just want to love people. But the truth is, many times throughout Scripture, God's deepest work is done when we are in conflict, not just with each other, but with Him. Like, He says to us, hey, you got to change this. And it's like, ah, I, I, don't, I don't think so. And I feel like oftentimes God's like, oh, you, you have an opinion. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, think, I think at first it is funny, but I actually think God loves that. God's not into robots. He's into sons and daughters. I love when my children have opinions. I love when they're not like, yeah, okay, I had never thought of that. I love when they're like, Dad, actually, I've thought about this. It's what I think. If I'm in a good place to sit in fatherly conflict with them, oftentimes I learn something about where they're coming from, about who they are. Of course, God knows everything about you, but the opportunity for you to learn something from him is enormous when you can sit in conflict with God. I say wrestle with God all you want. I haven't had to do it for years, but there was a season for almost a decade where I would get so frustrated, and I'm a driver. I like to drive. I think when I drive. I ponder when I drive. There was a season when I would drive by myself. I'd buckle the seatbelt next to me, pretend God was sitting there. Not pretending, because he was. Pretending he needed the seatbelt, but still. I just want you to be safe, Jesus, right? Let's be safe. But I would just, I would just, I would tell him. And not like, you know, Lord, Holy Father, I would tell him, I would be like, this is frustrating. This isn't what I signed up for. This feels like you're breaking the deal. I'm driving around. People probably thought I was rapping, right, because I talk with my hands. Look at that guy. He's really into that song. But really, it was just Jesus and me. And so many times, answers would come. So many times, peace would come. Sometimes I would get emotional. Whatever it was, I could bring it to God. And he, excuse me, it makes me, he would meet me. He would meet me, and he would talk to me. But I have been brutally honest with him. And he has been nothing but honest with me. Some of you in this room, you've avoided conflict with God so long, you've muted him. He is so peaceful to you. He is so quiet to you that he's not even in the room most of the time to you. And God says, just turn and fight me. You ever really had a good fight with God? Man, the Bible's full of people who had good fights with God. Epic fights with God. Epic. God is in love with you. And he, he is going to endure through your obstinance. But you have to decide if you're going to experience his grace because that conflict is an occasion for it and it's unavoidable. And so you might as well just dive in and accept that it is. 
Next. Next truth about conflicts from Scripture. Conflict brings forth the gospel's advance. You want to evangelize? You want to preach? You want to share? You want to express the love of Jesus to people? You better get used to conflict. The life of Paul, for instance, we might say became a series of one conflict after another. And each one was a catalyst for the ongoing progress of grace that he was preaching. He wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 1.30, engaged, he said he was engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here I still have. He openly admitted that he was in conflict. He wasn't like, I'm Paul, God provides me all, all my needs and do as I do, live as I live at peace with all men. He's like, bro, did you see that? He's like, I was in so much conflict. I was like going at it, like it was frustrated. He had conflict with other apostles. Like that's when you know you got a conflict issue. When you're like fighting between the people Jesus anointed to go preach the word and you're fighting how? Conflict exists, but he knew that it was an occasion for grace. And most importantly, he knew that it advanced the kingdom and advanced forth the gospel. He says earlier than that verse, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, let's get into some conflict. Let's stir it up a little bit. Let's get some feelings going. Let's get into some discussions. Because what we believe about God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's truth is worth battling over. As Christians, it's our job to step in. The high points of the history of God's people are stories not of fleeing conflict, but moving toward it. We need to stop running. We need to stop avoiding We need to recognize it exists, it's an occasion for grace, it advances the gospel, and we need to realize that God has called us to it. Paul went on to recount to the Thessalonians how not cowering from conflict was essential to the gospel even coming to them. Listen to what he said, uh, Thessalonians uh, 2.2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I don't know how much more I'm supposed to tell you that it's supposed to be part of your life, that you're supposed to accept it, that it's an opportunity for grace, that it brings forth the gospel advance, and that Christians just need to get really good at it. Paul's 13 letters are a tribute, what he wrote in this book, are a tribute to the fact that he wasn't afraid to address emerging conflict and see what good God had in store for his people in it. This is part of us. This is our heritage, our spiritual heritage. The last thing I want to say that the Bible really uh, uses to convince us that conflict is important and valuable is that conflict is lived out within the pattern of Christ. I believe our most compelling emblem For not shying away from conflict, but turning to take it on, head on, is of course Jesus. Listen to this verse in Hebrews that describes Jesus' path towards the throne room of God. It says that Jesus was the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, look at this, endured the cross, despising the shame. There's no better description of conflict than that. 
It's enduring the cross, the burden of the calling, right? The burden of the the pursuit of holiness. That's what this cross represents for Jesus and us, right? It's It's this holy example and sacrificial love, despising the shame that came along with it and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself displays this pattern over and over and over and over again. The trajectory of his life was always toward need, and so inevitably toward conflict, not away from it. We as Christians are called into this battle. This is a beautiful quote I saw recently. This is what it says. And so being saved by him, by Jesus, we Christians, or little Christ, learn increasingly to follow in his steps, empowered by his spirit, to move toward conflict, toward need, toward pain, toward tension, looking past the opposing awkwardness and difficulty that lies before us, to the promise of joy on the other side. Just keep that there. This is what we are called as a church to do. This is where we're heading downtown. This is why I joke, there's, gonna, there's tons of easier churches to attend in town. There's tons of better entertaining churches, tons of churches with better teachers and better music and better everything. But I, here's what are my challenges. I don't care about any of that. What I want to be a church that is, I want to be a church that's moving toward conflict, toward need, toward pain, toward tension, looking past the imposing awkwardness and difficulty that lies before us all to the promise of the joy of those people meeting Jesus, the throne room of God, and sitting in his presence. That is all I care about. And I don't care if every person in this room has to sit on the floor and ride bikes in the parking lot. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. And it may shrink us. Our, my elders hate this. It may shrink us. Because it's brutal to, 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 to sit in conflict on behalf of God because of a calling he's given you is brutal. I mean, you lose friends over that kind of stuff. You, you're like, man, you invite people to my church, they feel loved no matter what. It's the people who say, well, church is supposed to be for a certain kind of person that is a certain kind of lifestyle and does a certain kind of thinking. Those people are not going to feel comfortable at Kesson. It's just not going to work. I want them to because I want all kinds. I don't want to exclude. But we're going to be a church that moves toward need, pain, and tension. And that's going to mean all kinds of awkwardness and difficulty, all kinds of mess. That's what it's going to mean. It's just, it's, it's awesome because it's his calling. It's his direction. I mean, he gave us a church. Then he provided the funds and the people and the way to do it. You think we're going to get that close to the finish line of being a part of what God's doing and go, let's just fill it with a bunch of people who think and act the same. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't think I'll even wake up. God would be like, well, that was close, Danny. <laughs> I will just die in my sleep one night and I want to live, right? I, I want to live. And even if that means it's only 18 of us in there, I want to live and I want you to live. I want to experience this life, even if it means we do so with some conflict. Following Christ means we will have these unavoidable collisions. It's just part of the deal. It doesn't mean we become bullheaded and pugnacious and develop a penchant for a good fight. So those of you in the room right now, this whole time, you're like, yeah, 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 this part's for you. When you think about your life, those of you who enjoy conflict, does this verse describe you while in conflict? This is Paul teaching Timothy how to have it, how to execute it. How God expects you as a Christ follower to experience it. This is what he says. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them, that's those who are listening, repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Let's just, let's just slow it way down. Okay, let's just slow it way down. Okay, I'll go back to the first part of this. And the Lord's servants, okay, that's everybody in here who believes God is, their, is our Savior. That he's, he's the authority, which means this verse applies to you and to me. We must not be quarrelsome. It means we must not be in a fight for the sake of a fight. Usually people who like conflict, and I really liked conflict for like the first 10 years of my ministry. I mean, I would look for conflict, but it was because I'm a, I'm a communicator. And I thought it was more like debate team than actually speaking about truth or trying to advance the kingdom or any of these things that I'm teaching today. I mean, at 25 years old, I would argue with anyone about anything. I just liked winning. I just enjoyed the fight. It says that that's wrong. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be kind. And not just to the people who agree with us. It's what it says, right? So all of a sudden now you're like, oh man, the Bible, right? To everyone. Kind to everyone. Ready? This is really important. Able to teach. This means you actually have to have something to say. Like you have to have a thoughtful approach, a thoughtful response. You just don't get to get into a room and fight for sake of the fight and start rhyming your words and using your articulation and sounding beautiful with just nothing to say. It says that you are to have something to say. You're able to teach, and this is important, patiently enduring evil. You have to fight with people who think completely different than you in a loving, kind, gentle way. And when they start using their pagan arguments and their pagan thinking, you don't just get to go, be gone, Satan. <laughs> I'm arguing about truth, and you don't even know what truth is. You're a big thing right now, and I say it all the time, is you have a truth within you. Jesus says he's the only truth. There's no truth within you. He is the one you measure against. That's what truth is. Truth is what you measure against. Here's truth. Here's Jesus. Everything else measures against that. If I have truth within me, then I get to measure my own life against me, which means I'm accountable to no one but myself. Now, that's a hard argument from a Christian with a pagan. And oftentimes what Christians will do is go, well, that's just pagan. That's evil. I don't, you know, I want to talk when you want to talk about real stuff, stuff that matters. Apparently, apparently your job is to speak against all of it with gentleness and kindness and with a thoughtful approach. Next slide. And you are to correct don't just think and give up and go, oh, yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. It's good talking with you. I'd love to have you at church sometime. You speak that truth. You speak that stuff. But you do it in such a way that it is gentle because perhaps Holy Spirit that speaks to everybody, the Holy Spirit, by the way, who brings rain on the righteous and the wicked, the Holy Spirit who can rain truth into the darkest place, light into the darkest cavern, will grant them repentance and lead them to a knowledge of who? Him. Jesus. This is why we engage in conflict. This is why it's unavoidable, because it brings so much fruit into our lives. Conflict is not something to avoid or ignore. It's an opportunity for the triumph of grace. That's why it's available, and that's why as Christians we need to get really, really good at it. Now, one tendency that I've learned in church to not allow is the one that I think is probably happening right now. We've talked about us in a, in a big kind of global way, and we've sort of set up this stage that we're here, 
and the rest of the world is out there. And that soon when we move, there'll be pieces of that world that will start flowing into our community, different thinking, different thoughts. And I believe that that's true. And so we need to get good at conflict because our community is growing and developing and we're going to be filled with all kinds of people. Now, we're never going to stray from God's word. We're never going to stray from the base Okay? But we are going to listen and have conflict with people who still think different because of our gentleness, our kindness, our love, and our willingness to accept. But here's what that does. Here's the problem. What that does is it sets us up against them. When in reality, I made a statement earlier, which is that there's conflict even in this room and even among us. And until we can get good at conflict with ourselves, we're never going to be able to get as good as we could get in conflict with people outside of ourselves. We have to be willing to engage in conflict here if we're going to engage in the conflict that I think God's going to bless us to experience in the future. I said earlier that I was going to bring some conflict in the room. Now is the time that I'm going to do that. Now, I want to prepare you with a couple different kind of uh, visualizations. First off, I want you to understand that we can talk about conflict as something separate than what this church represents, okay? We can examine it. If you would, imagine that on this stage right here is a big glass box, and inside that box is a live and active tornado. There is nothing uh, about this tornado that can break the box that we have set up today. You won't feel the wind. You won't hear the sound. You simply get to see the tornado and examine it in its full power. That's what I want to do with conflict. I want to present something to you and I want to examine how you feel about it. I have no agenda. I have no movement. I have, matter of fact, I think the only thing I really care about is that you're able to examine the conflict and that everybody loves Danny in the end. Those are the only two things. <laughs> because there's no way we can talk about it unless we bring it in the room. But to bring it in the room in front of the church could cause people to stop or people listening online to go, oh, he's pushing this side or that side. I'm not pushing anything. I simply want to examine conflict. I want to see what it feels like to be in conflict with people in our church, Bible-based, Bible-loving, God-fearing people who see things completely differently. And the best way I know to do that is to get some people feeling. So I'm going to show you a video, and then I'm going to talk about the video, and we're going to talk about what we're feeling in the video, and then we're going to look at what the Bible says we do with those feelings. You ready? Okay. Okay. Please watch. Bullying. The Me Too the movement against sexual toxic harassment. Masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. Sexual harassment is taking over. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. what I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on to say the right thing, to act the right way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big 
and small. I am strong. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. So this video came out about a week ago, I think maybe just a little less than a week, and uh, some of you know, some of you don't, but this video has, has pretty much split the internet in half. Uh, it's incredibly polarizing because it causes you to feel something, and that something uh, has been so strong and so many that they're blown away that anybody would receive anything else but the emotion they got from the video. The pro comments, and I pulled a few of them up, people who enjoyed the video, who liked the video, video, who are for the video. This is some of the comments that, the, uh, that came out just this week. That they're just from two days ago. It says, beautiful and powerful ad. Thank you, Gillette. Real proud of you. Believe in all of humanity getting better with each step. This is such a good campaign, like I actually feel better just watching this. This ad was refreshing and put forward some really pressing issues. This commercial isn't anti-male, it's pro-humanity, and it demonstrates that character can step up to change conditions. So these are people that felt strongly. There's a lot of people uh, in my world that felt this way about the video. And there's a lot of people in my world that felt this way about the video. These are some anti-responses against the video and its message. I was more confused by the message. The problem with the ad is its premise is insulting. The premise is that all men are bad somehow and need correcting. So I'm supposed to take a Gillette ad as my moral compass, laugh out loud. Can I buy a watch or like anything without it being a political statement? Can I buy a watch anything? Uh, appears Gillette profiled all men as a problem and we need to stop excusing bad behavior. So these responses, if I was to put them side by side, here's what I would like to do in the room right now. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to take a side. I'm not going to ask you to, uh, to in any way expose yourself. But what I do want you to do is raise your hand if one of the sides or the other causes you to feel something or in a sense you agree. One of the sides or the other. Okay, so you, generally most of us would have an opinion. Does it ha give you an opinion? Now, I'm not naive that I'm only one question away from completely splitting our church in half. <laughs> and do not raise your hand, but the question would be quite simply, which side are you feeling? Which side are you experiencing? And I think, based on how all the air is sucked out of the room right now, that what you're feeling is exactly what we hoped you would feel, which is that you are not sitting in a room of people who are 100% like-minded that there is deep conflict even amongst people who love Jesus, love his word, love his truth. There is deep conflict in this room right now, and that feeling is uncomfortable. That feeling is messy because there are beautiful people in my life who are not just like, well, I think, or well, I think, but are like, this is what this is. 
And then you can walk across the street and someone else will say, oh, did you see that ad? This is what this is. And I was like, interesting. Interesting that there is even amongst people who are, who are deeply integrated followers of Jesus, there is incredible conflict like this. This feeling that you have, this feeling that you have right now is normal. This feeling that you have right now is expected. This is what it feels like to be a part of a family. This is what it feels like to be in church. Not to, we're not a part of some cult where everybody has to be and do and, and function. We're a part of a family. We are a body, not a business. Okay, that's what we are. We are an organism, not an organization. We are alive and functioning and breathing. And that means we're going to be sloppy and confused and there's going to be difficulty, and we have to be brave enough to stand up and say, if whatever you're feeling, you're still valuable. You're still part of the conversation. And there's a way to engage that conversation. And it has to do with some of those principles we just talked. Understanding these are opportunities for grace. Understanding they move the kingdom forward. Understanding this is the pattern that Jesus lived out. This is who we are called to be. Feel the feeling and take it home with you. Because this is what it should feel like to have an impact for God. Amen? Amen. Let me give you just really simple, some basic principles for how to deal with conflict in your own life. So maybe not issue-specific conflict, but personal conflict, conflict with people in your life. The Bible breaks it down quite simply, quite simply. This is Jesus' advice on conflict resolution or conflict engagement. It's quite simply broken down into these four steps. Quickly, face-to-face one-on-one, get help. Quickly, face-to-face, one-on-one, and get help. First one, do it quickly. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned that a believer who harbored anger against a brother or sister was just as guilty in God's eyes as a murderer. Since that is how God sees your anger, how important is it to get rid of it quickly? Here's the verse, Matthew 5, 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar or your worship in church, And you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. These are Jesus' words. You are not to harbor. You are not to host. You are not to allow it to grow into something it isn't. Do it quickly. And do it first face to face. Notice I didn't say Facebook to Facebook. Face-to-face, there is great value in face-to-face confrontation. It is very hard to communicate emotion in an email or a text, and so it's very easy to misunderstand someone. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It says go and share your heart with gentleness, with kindness, with all those earlier principles, understanding it's an opportunity for grace to move the gospel forward in the pattern of Jesus and who you are growing to be. Do it one-on-one. Pay attention to the second part of Matthew 18, 15. It says between you and him alone. Raise your hands if you ever talked about someone before you talked to someone. Yeah, seven of you. Bunch of liars. Oh, man. We're going to do truth next week, conflict with truth. (laughs) Apparently our churches, everybody's talked about someone, especially if you're a Christian, you just do it through prayer requests. Man, I got to pray for my brother Sam. He's really got a messed up life. You know, it's like, oh, it's it's rough. It's rough, but it's true. 
go to people before you go to them before you go to other people. The one exception to this rule is when you talk to God about the conflict you're having. You can go to him before you go to the person. So in a nutshell, talk to God about the other person before you talk to the other person and talk to the other person before you talk to others about the other person. Okay, I know it's difficult, but half the time people find out you're talking to, uh, about them to someone you told. Because here's a really cool rule, and this is, a, this is a church rule, but everybody tells at least one person, no matter what they say. Everybody tells at least one person. So you're like, listen, I'm not supposed to say this. Right away, you're the, I'm not supposed to tell anybody this. And you tell them, and then they're like, oh my gosh, no, I won't tell anybody. And then half hour later, they're like, I'm not supposed to tell anybody, but I just want to, okay, everybody tells one person. And by the time you get around to confronting the person you have the conflict with, they've already been told you're talking about them, and now you have to deal with that. So, so again, quickly, face-to-face, one-on-one, and then lastly, get help. Matthew 18 goes on and says, if your brother does not listen or your sister, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of the two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Basically recognize that relationship is broken. If you have an issue with a person, you go one-on-one, they don't listen. Bring someone that can come and mediate between you. And then this says, because basically this is just Jesus laying out a biblical system of escalation. If after you've brought people and you've gone one-on-one and then you want to bring an elder or a pastor or someone that you mutually respect that can help lay some of the groundwork for more relationship, that would be the third and final step. But if there's nothing that can be done in the third and final step, then don't pretend. I love this. Don't pretend. Don't pretend like, it's fine. I'll just go back to, ho- to, to holding it, to, 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 to just pretending it doesn't exist. Nope. Just pretend the relationship is, is struggling and, 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 and respectfully and gently with kindness allow it to be such. That's what the Bible says we are supposed to do when we have conflict. One more time, quickly. Face-to-face, one-on-one. Get help. And the reality is this. If you can walk through these steps, if you can negotiate this kind of relational um, uh, uh, groundbreaking treatment of another person, most of the time, unless there's deep pride in yourself or the other person, the relationship can be restored. Because you're willing to walk through this. And then you can say, just like it says on the slide, come and see what God has done. He's restored us. At the end of it all, what we need to realize is that the Bible says we are all transforming people. And I will say this, if you get into engagement with somebody, if you can't own at least 10% of it, you're probably not ready to engage. I haven't met anybody that's, that's really been in true conflict with somebody who, to resolve the conflict, didn't have to own a piece. Didn't have to own a piece. If it's 100% somebody else's fault, then I would, I would have to say that's probably pride. It, it, there's there's got to be some, some mutual sloppiness, some mutual mess. There's got to be. We as a church are called to move into this kind of conflict. We are called to engage people, to love people, and we are called to look at ourselves first, to engage within our own stories where we have conflict, to engage within our, our own emotional health and our own spirituality where we are struggling. This is one beautiful thing about Kesed is that we don't pretend that these struggles don't exist. But if we're not careful, that will become the, the thing that makes us proud is that we will just talk about conflict and never do anything about it. We can't just look at ourselves and not do anything about it. 
We can't look at our church and not do anything about it. We are a people transforming. I am, I am so hoping that I'm different at this age than I was 10 years ago, which means I'm gonna be even more different 10 years from now. So I have something to learn in all my conflicts. I have an opportunity for grace. I have an opportunity to see God be lifted high when I can humble myself or when I can speak up when no one else does. I have an opportunity to move the kingdom forward when I can be less, as Paul says, and he can be more. But for me to be less means I may need to step out into some light. I may need to step back into some darkness and form a thoughtful response. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I just know conflict's supposed to be part of your story. And it makes you healthy and whole when you can share it and when you can love people in it, and when you can expect it and experience it without it destroying your day. When this happens, I'm just here to tell you, God's glory can be manifested beyond you, and people can say, man, I saw what happened there. Unbelievable. I never thought that that would happen. I never thought you'd be so forgiving. I never thought you'd be so strong. I never thought you'd back away and just listen like you did. I never imagined you could be so kind. I don't know if I could do it. And God's love and God's story has moved forward. And I am transferred, as the scripture says, into a little more like him. My last verse, and I'll close with this, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all, that's you and I, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And we got that out of the scripture. That's Kesed. That's what it means to be more in God and to experience more in God. And so, Lord, I just take a minute right here and I pray that every person in this room would experience a beautiful internal conflict. They would feel the calling upon your life. God, they would feel the, the calling of, of their story, that there would be more, Lord, than, than they have ever experienced before and that your glory would just come forth from within it. Lord, we are a church that's being called into a battle for your name. We are a church that is moving forward. And Lord, I ask that it would not grow larger, but it would grow deeper, that it would grow stronger, that it would grow thicker with your presence because we were willing to engage with the conflict within us, the conflict within our community, the conflict within our stories, that God, we would just, we would just be overwhelmed with your forgiveness, your grace, and your love. God, I thank you that we are being transformed from who we are now to who you've called us to be. From glory to glory, God, we praise you. We proclaim you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Will you stand? We'll sing together.